0: Hello and welcome to Six Degrees of Silvis, a podcast where we talk with artists, art collectors, advisors, museum directors, and curators to learn firsthand how the art world operates and how each participant uniquely addresses vital issues of our time. I'm the co-host and editor of the podcast, Evan Holter. And I'm the host, John Silvis. So John, uh, since this is our first podcast, uh, why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about how you uh, got the idea for the podcast um, and maybe talk a little bit about yourself um, and what you do for anyone who might not know you.
1: Thanks Evan for organizing this and editing and helping uh, produce the podcast. My name is John Silvis, and I've been in the arts for about 26 years in New York and Growing up in Vienna, I had the privilege to meet lots of artists as well as a family that were collecting art. And so I was able at a very young age to see the dynamics that come to play in not only creating, but then in purchasing and showing art. And it it really fascinated me. And I realized it was something that I wanted to be a part of. I've also been a maker and I've been a writer and have curated and now spend most of my time researching and working with private collections and um, helping collectors express their vision and hopefully establishing collections that will stand the test of time. This last year was very different because I wasn't able to travel like i was accustomed to and so i started a series of igtv interviews Um, i was talking with a lot of people online all over the world artists collectors all these different participants that i think are important in the art dialogue and really define what the art world is and so in thinking about those interviews i thought it would also be great to spend a little more time talking to some different people and um, yeah, just hearing where they're coming from and maybe some of the the topics that are on their minds during this time. Cool.
2: Um, So uh, who do we have for our
1: first interview? So I thought the perfect person to launch this series would be Larry Oseid Menza. He's been a friend of mine for about 10 years, and uh, what I love about him is that he has been championing uh, black and brown artists, and has done that in a variety of ways on a number of platforms. He's done that online by collecting, by advising and encouraging other people to collect, by curating, and um, he's created really an amazing opportunities, um, as well as been a mentor to some artists individually. So to me, he represents one of these really dynamic and admirable art world citizens who really makes change happen. He's a Ghanaian American curator, a cultural critic, collector, has organized exhibitions uh, both in the US and abroad, in commercial and nonprofit spaces. He has featured artists such as Furlé Bays, Alison Jane Hamilton, Brandon Fernades, Ebony Patterson, Modo Diang, Glenn Kaino, Jory Mina, and Stanley Whitney, to name a few. He has also documented many cultural happenings with artists such as Derek Adams, Nicolene Thomas, Nadeka Crosby, Federico Solmi, and Kihende Wiley. Larry is a native of the Bronx. He's a a true New Yorker. And he is the co-founder of Art Noir, which plans events and uh, exhibitions and has created a lot of uh, synergy in the arts, um, celebrating black and brown artists from around the world. And this coming year, he's also going to be a contributor to uh, the 7th Athens Biennial, and we're very excited to see what he does with that. He is a former Susan Field Hilberry Senior Curator at MOCAD in Detroit. He co-curated with Dexter Wimbley the exhibition at MOAD in San Francisco, Coffee, Rum, Sugar, Gold, a Post-Colonial Paradox in the Spring of 2019. He has been featured in Artsy in the New York Times and numerous other publications. So it's really fair to say that he is a multidimensional figure. He's an incredible catalyst and an incredible supporter of the arts.
0: Cool, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to listen and um, everyone please enjoy Larry Osei Mensa.
1: It's uh, great to be joined by you, Larry. Thanks for making the time to speak with us today. Um, I wanted to add, uh, in addition to the short bio that I talked about, um, is that you're also serving as a curator at large for BAM. And you curated a show, uh, When a pop Pot Finds Its Purpose, um, featuring Glenn Kaino. And it's at, that was at the Rudin Gallery.
3: Yeah, correct. Um, Thank you, John, um, for this opportunity to join you. And, you know, as part of a new project, curator project, we always have projects and ideas that we wanna explore and investigate. So thank you for the uh, invitation. Um, Yeah, so I started, just for context, my relationship with BAM through Holly Shin, who was the previous curator at BAM. And they launched the Rudin Family Gallery in fall of 2019 which feels like forever ago and so we launched that with Glenn Kaino who is an artist who's been a friend and colleague for a long time and we hadn't had an, an opportunity to formally work together and uh last fall um the artistic director David Binder invited me to deepen my role and relationship with them beyond being a guest curator and so I'm now curator at large um one of the curators at large, at large. and um
1: Congratulations. we excuse me congratulations
3: oh yeah thank you no i appreciate it um and you know one of the first projects we did with me in that role was let freedom ring which was a digital um presentation on um, meditation on the notion of freedom mm-hmm. uh, we we launched it um mlk weekend and it was up through the art inauguration and i invited seven artists that i knew brooklyn based artists to kind of Think about, you know, what does freedom mean to mm-hmm. you um, and respond as you see fit. So there really wasn't, you know, any guidance beyond that. You know, and they sent me images that they felt responded to the prompts. So Derek Adams was in the show. Camila, Rashid, um Layla was in the show. Um, Alvin, Alvin Armstrong. Uh, Derek Adams, Hank Willis Thomas. Jasmine Wahi, Lasagna Cruz, I think that's seven. Um, And they're all artists that I've been in dialogue with, you know, for the past several years in different forms. And so like Lasagna has been in, you know, multiple shows that I've done, Alvin, this is our first show. And so for me, it was also just another way to kind of deepen these conversations. And I think with Jasmine in particular, you know, she primarily works as a curator. Um, and so to include her voice, you know, in a creative capacity as an artist, I think was really um, fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also collaborated with Four Freedom. So Hank and Jabs' work was part of a larger project. So, you know, for me, it's an opportunity to solve for a different problem. You know, BAM's been closed pretty much since last yeah. year.
1: Yeah, institutions have been
3: and you know because they you know primarily performance you know cinema visual arts the way they work requires like a physical proximity I kept looking at this billboard on Flatbush as just like an underutilized opportunity Mm. and so just was trying to find my way in and you know it took me months to kind of convince people like okay Let's give it a shot. Yeah. And, you know, luckily, you know, Seth Rodney wrote an incredible, you know, review of the project in the New York Times. And, you know, the community responded. And that's more what I was interested in, mm-hmm. was, you know, making a show by Brooklyn artists for Brooklyn, you know, and just kind of understanding that Flatbush is just one of these heartbeats. And so, you either go buy it every day or it's easy to get to it because it's at Atlantic. So it's not like a trek as opposed to like going to Chelsea, like where you have to kind of organize yourself to like do that. Where like here, you know, oh, I can also go to Whole Foods or the yeah. Apple store. Um, um,
1: yeah. And Flatbush runs through across Brooklyn pretty much.
3: Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was also also kind of a in return in a sort because like my first show, um, I think one of your questions was alluding to it, um, was at Harriet's Alter Ego in two thousand eight, you know. <laughs> so I worked initially as a photographer, you know, doing portraits of friends. Um and, you know, Harriet's was a boutique that had a gallery in the back, very kind of very community oriented. And I think that set the foundation in terms of how I've just worked over the last, you know, 10, 12 13 years in terms of really making what I do rooted in community in a multitude of ways so community in terms of place with regard to this band project mm-hmm. but the community just in terms of like network you know you know you're, we are part of each other's community you know mm-hmm. meeting at hunter you know many moons ago um, and still being in touch um, so thinking about my curatorial community artistic community collectors writers, um, and how do we use art as a tool to kind of just think through the challenges of everyday life? Um, how do we use art as a tool um to help us ask more questions, better questions? How do we use art as a tool to find solace, you know, find moments of joy, um, moments of relaxation. Um, I'm self taught as a curator. Um my educational backgrounds in business management, marketing, hospitality. So, like, I've had to learn by doing every step of the way.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so, you know, it's been beautiful to kind of, you know, engage an artist who their artwork or their dialogue or conversation totally, you know, turns what you may have been thinking about an idea or a project or a way of living upside down. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and those are the moments that I relish because, you know, they're few and far between, but when they happen, they're so powerful that you're just forever changed. You mm-hmm. know, and I think art, whether you're talking about visual art or movies or cinema or dance or food, um, design, you know, that's one of the few things in our life that without it, I I don't think many people would be able to survive. You know, and so how do I you know, continuously push myself, but then also push artists that I collaborate with, but also now, you know, institutions that I collaborate with to kind of think outside the box because you get into a rhythm when you work in a place. Um, and, and when you're working with an institution, the institution has its own heartbeat and yeah. personality, you know? And like, how do you navigate that to to kind of get the best experience for not only... The public, but also for your colleagues, you know, and I think that's what was powerful about "Let Freedom Ring" was just seeing the response from my colleagues, who also have been affected by COVID and working from home, and that might have been the first time they went to Ban Plaza in months, you know. And so those are the things I think about when I'm talking about like, you know, helping us rethink, you know, reevaluate, reconsider, you know, how we see ourselves, how do we see each other, mm-hmm. uh, how do we see our society to
1: art? Well, I think this time of COVID has really emphasized the importance of community um, versus simply production and commerce, because we all really do need to work together to survive and also to thrive and to create new ideas. And um, part of the the reason for this podcast is is to engage with people like yourself that are, are real catalysts and doing important things. And, um, you know, you wear many different hats in your kind of life in the art world, but but you're also um, very consistent the last 12, 15 years.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's taken me a long time to get to that place because, you know, again, coming, you know, coming to this from the outside, I guess, in quotes, Um, I I don't think I've ever felt invited to be part of this, but I had, you know, my kind of epiphanies and moments, transformative moments. Um, And and in the beginning, you know, I thought being multi-hyphenate was what's going to, like, get me attention, Mm -hmm. you know, and... I'd say about six, seven years ago, I had, you know, a couple of great conversations with like Norah Horowitz, who's a good friend who runs Basel for North and South America, a friend of mine, Francis Poku, Stanley Lumax, who I did the first show with at Harrods Auto Ego. And, you know, them knowing me and having a sense of my ambition and like just sitting me down and just saying, hey, you know, we see that you want to do all these things, but, you know what does it look like if you kind of really reel this in, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, I'm still doing a lot of the different things that I do, but kind of like really reel this under on, on, in under the umbrella of just kind of your curatorial practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. And, and expanding what curatorial practice can look like. Right. And not, and I think also doing the ICI intensive in 2016 was super instructive in that, like, You know, this is curatorial practice, even though we might not define it as such, but, you know, really locking in on the fact that the dialogue is what was important to me. It wasn't necessarily just the presentation of objects, but like what happens through the presentation of objects, through conversation, through the written word, you know, through, you know, using my Instagram feed as a portal to highlight artists I'm excited about, but then I'll highlight books that I'm excited about. Um, And so I think that was super instructive in that I don't have to be all things to all people, just really focus on like, what I do well, you know? So even thinking about COVID and, you know, the initial response and feeling the pressure to be like, okay, what am I gonna do, right? Um, And really kind of stepping back and being like, you know, doubling down and doing what you do well. Mm -hmm. You know, so thinking about Art Noir, you know, and and that's a a collective that was co-founded in 2013, you know, with a group of incredible, you know, friends, family, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And starting that journey, one, as an extension of the practice, because now I have, you know, six other collaborators that, you know, they have their ideas and perspectives and we're able to serve more people. And so, you know, we started out as more of a a, a, a group that just did field trips. Mm-hmm. I mean, very simple, like, you know, going to Storm King, going to the Barnes Foundation, going to Art Basel. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, realizing that, you know, there was more of a need to create space that felt safe, you know, specifically for, you know, black and brown artists and cultural workers, you know, because yeah. when you work in an instit- I was talking to a colleague earlier this morning, like, the amount of abuse that i see colleagues deal with and put up with um in a job scenario um is disheartening at times and you know how do you create space where you celebrate a colleague's work you know whether they're a curator or an artist or a dancer or a filmmaker and over the last 8 years you know our role has shifted you know and and holding space has a different context and you know, so at the beginning of COVID, once I saw you know friends and colleagues getting laid off, I was like, all right, this is going to be a big problem because we don't know what the market is going to do, and the market has not correlated with COVID, which has been really kind of mind blowing. It is, yeah. To observe, because normally there's a there's a correlation. Yes. Um, I'm sure that there are probably spots where there's correlation, but for the most part, it hasn't been. And you know, so one of the first things we did is come up with this Jar of Love microgrant, right? And that is a microgrant that we started specifically for black and brown artists, curators, cultural workers. It's ranged from five hundred dollars up to twenty five hundred dollars. Um, we actually just donated three thousand dollars to the MCA's GoFundMe for the for the colleagues who got laid off. Right. Um and, you know, we did a we did an auction in the summer with Artsy. We did over $100,000 in sales. Um, we offered 30% commission to some of the artists if they wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, many chose to donate because they believed in the vision. Um, but, you know, just in that gesture, like, knowing that artists are foundational to why we exist as an organization and making sure that the artists are good, you know? And then with the... And we don't take a salary. You know, yeah. and I think that's always important to kind of highlight. We're five oh one C three, we're a nonprofit, but none nobody no nobody takes a salary. So
1: everything that comes in is poured back into the community. Um Great. And yeah, then I'm excited I'm excited about this notion of what a contemporary curator is. And I think, you know, you've really demonstrated that over the last ten years. And I, I feel like myself, um, I've tried to expand my sort of role as a curator into being an art facilitator that's what I put on my business card now rather than be a curator or an art advisor all of which is part of what I do including writing and um, doing um, Instagram zooms and all the rest I I really you know think that uh, a curator now has has a lot of different roles or a lot of different uh, kind of jobs wrapped up into one. And I think that's, exciting. I mean, in many ways, I feel like it's very different from maybe 12 years ago when we both started. I feel like we both started roughly around the same time, kind of mm. being less makers and then helping create these opportunities.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, part of how, why I started curating is that, I realized, you know, being a maker, I just didn't have tough enough skin, you know, like particularly with photography, because I think photographers critique in a way that like, I mean, painters critique, but photographers are vicious Um, to the point where it's just like, you know, I I put my camera down, I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, and, you know, I started writing you know, and, and the writing was great because it, it was a way to have these one-on-one one dialogues. So, you know, I had the pleasure of writing about, you know, Toyin Naratola and Jadeka Akinoli Crosby, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, Lorna Simpson. And through those conversations, I realized that there was this huge gap in terms of opportunities for emerging artists. Mm-hmm. And so emerging artists, is that's historically been my bread and butter where it's like, you know. Finding a uh, artist at heter m f a you know before they even know what the possibilities are for themselves and trying to provide a platform for them to you know do their artistic gesture express and share about particular ideas and you know I think coming into it because you know I didn't go to school for it, yeah, you know, in my mind, I thought there was a particular way of doing it, yeah. And then when I began to do the research and I look at, you know, curators that I admire, um, many of them may have gone to school for art history, but when they were training curatorial practice was not an option in terms of studying. Yeah. You know, and so I think beginning, and I think that's where like, you know, my hospitality degree, you know, I think fills that gap in terms of when I do a show, you know, I'm thinking about creating a hospitable environment at times. You know, and how do you, cre- how do you take the viewer or, you know, in the cur- in, in, in the hospitality space, the guests, you know, whether that's a restaurant or hotel, mm-hmm. once they step into those doors, you know, it's your job to create a unique experience that hopefully will be transformative for them. Mm-hmm. And so that guides a lot of what I do in terms of how I make shows, who I invite to be in the conversation, you know, knowing when to kind of ratchet up the tension, when to bring the tension down. Um, and it's like writing, you always are trying to get better. Like you can make a show.
2: Yeah.
3: Right. But it's like, I can't say I've ever been satisfied with a show because you find something wrong Mm -hmm. and it's just like, okay, how do I learn from that to make the next thing even more? Um, I wouldn't say tight because I never want something to be rigid to the point where you don't let chance and serendipity occur. Yeah. Um. but just, you know, more locked in, Yeah. you know? And I think, you know, COVID has forced us to adapt, right? Because what happens when you take away the physical space? And, you know, at the beginning of COVID, I was doing these Zooms with um, a good friend and mentor, Troy Carter, and we were doing them, like, I think we did four Saturdays in a row because, like, it was cathartic.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, and now we're bringing that back um but now using clubhouse as a platform Mm
2: -hmm.
3: you know and just trying to exchange ideas and you know i'm always clear that i don't know everything you know and i also don't want to create a space because sometimes you can get deep into that art speak
2: Mm -hmm. because
3: i have a good friend of mine um india uh jules jackson and you know she would we would travel so you know she would meet me at shows and like yeah you know, there'll be times where like me and you will be talking to the point where like you know you're excluding a friend, yeah, and so I always want to make it as inclusive as as possible if it's an interest to you you know and i and and I think what's been great in particular with art noirs allowed me to work in spaces that if I wanted to kind of directly, it would be a little bit more tricky, right so like um, I think two summers ago, I did a project with, um, Nina Chanel Abney, um, Samora Pendehues, Aja Monet, um, at National Sawdust.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And there was this purely like this interest of what happens when you have one evening and you create this intersection of music and art, you know, yes, the musicians and the performers rehearse, but you still don't know what's going to happen. Sure. You know, and so putting and it's actually one of the first
2: times
1: performance, yeah,
3: yeah. It was, and that's why I think, and I did a project with Brenda Fernandez where it's like one of the few times where I was nervous Mm. because I don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, like in your mind, you know, but like a mic might go out or like someone might be off key or whatever, and you know that was great to do that. You know, under the auspice of art noir and just kind of offer this kind of exchange to our community, our ever-going community.
1: Yeah. No, I like what you said about uh, the creativity in in all of your activities and kind of leaving the the world of being a maker and then transitioning into this. I mean, I feel very much the same way because I, interestingly, also have a background in photography and then transitioned into academia and curating. And a lot of people would ask me if I miss or if I feel stunted because I'm not making as much work anymore and it, it's really uh, never occurred to me that there was um, kind of a lack in that kind of transition because it to mm-hmm. me it's so creative and I find that working with people can be immensely creative and so I don't really miss that element I feel like all of it um, kind of reinforces each other, and all my is yeah. as a maker. I think helped me be more attuned to what I'm looking at in the studio, or what what struggles, particularly emerging artists, are facing.
3: Exactly, and uh, I think also like you find you find other ways to kind of nourish that. You know, so for yeah. me during COVID, making bread, like everybody else, you know, like
2: up in just, your cooking game.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, like, because I have to concentrate what's in front. Like, if I make a mistake, I can cut my finger off. Like, the level of focus and then the relaxation that came from that. I did a print in collaboration with Pegasus Prints last summer, which had been the first kind of artwork that I, you know, had shared publicly in, like, maybe over a decade. And that was due to Kate Shepard. I was showing her, you know, I was making the, I was like just roasting vegetables, like not making art. And it was making these kind of abstract gestures and I showed her the parchment. She was like, you should make a print out of that. And I'm like, why? She's like, because that's an artwork. And I'm like, no, it's not. And like, she introduced me to Amy at Pegasus Prints and we put Uh this print out. And um, 20% of the proceeds were going to um, Kofi and to Summa Everything, which is Lauren Halsey's um, project. She has an organic food project in Watts, okay,
2: in
1: South Central. Oh wow! Free, free organic food, and okay. so you know. Does again, she have me- a garden there, like a uh, city garden or uh, urban garden? Uh, or-
3: I don't think she's done an urban garden. I think she's just working in collaboration with different farms. Okay, and then she has an art space that she's developing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But for me. And I did that as like a 40th birthday gift to my community. Like, okay. and, 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 and again, you know, I'm always thinking about how do you redeploy resources? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to have, you know, 20% of whatever came in to redeploy and support these initiatives, one, but then two, it was great. And that a lot of friends, it was their first piece Okay. that they bought, you know, and also I've been super bullish about additions for the last, you know, four years and getting more people to kind of like appreciate additions a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have my moments of like expression, but I also think curating is an art. It is. Not everybody can do it. Yeah. Um, and you have to develop like,
1: well, it's, it's combining ideas and then also organizational skills and the exactly to, to translate that idea. And, um, over all your creative solutions
3: yeah yeah i have a show up now um at anamara gallery in rome
2: Mm -hmm.
3: and it's a group show and i had to do everything virtually because like you know italy just have very stringent rules you had to quarantine i was like i'm not doing that so luckily i did a show at the space in 2018 so i had to kind of imagine the space because blueprints don't really help me yeah like, it doesn't compensate for heights and things like that.
1: Sure. The the way the and, light is in the room and all of that. Exactly. Things. Yeah.
3: And so I had to kind of remember and then literally sketched it out on a piece of paper and then put it in a PowerPoint. And then, like, they installed it and would send me install shots. And then I also have to be conscious that 99% of the consumption will be virtual. Yeah. And so, like, um reconciling with decisions I normally wouldn't make if people could physically see it, Mm -hmm. but different sight lines, because I know that like if you're looking at it on Instagram or your phone, it has to read a a certain way as opposed to if you're physically seeing it. And so, you know, I think I'm having fun. And I think that's really kind of always been the crux. And I always say, I was talking to Sean Kelly last week, because uh, we were at uh, the
1: opening for Hugo McLeod's exhibition, Burden. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. The, the images look fantastic.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, he's a great example. If we're yeah. talking about, like, collaboration and building these relationships, yeah. and we've been Is collaborating you, over a
1: you, decade. He rated his first show, I believe, at Max. Yeah,
3: Fresh so Fresh I put him in his first group show.
1: Yeah.
3: And so to go on that journey together and now to, you know, see an exhibition where, like, the ideas of Chris, the actual craftsmanship, not saying that it, there wasn't craftsmanship before, but you just see a maturity. Yeah, yeah. Right, and it's like, it's kind of a weird thing to kind of kind of witness, you know, this this kind of individual maturity, artistic maturity, like,
1: I was at, um, I mean, it just takes time, I think, with artists. You know, I think of many artists that I showed at the project space I was working with, Outlet Fine Art in Brooklyn. A lot of Mm -hmm. the artists then, you know, you could see these amazing ideas uh, being generated, and, you know, now, five, six years later, these artists have really come into their own. And it's, it's so exciting and rewarding to see that.
3: Yeah, and I think that's a lot of what, you know, we do as curators whether it's an emerging artist or if you're connecting with, you know, um, what I call masters. So like Peter Williams is an artist that, you know, I've been collaborating with him. had the opportunity to collaborate with last five years. I've curated two solo shows. I co-curated the last one with um, Rebecca um, at Trina Soul. But, you know, Peter is 67, 68. And so I have to kind of vision, what does that mean for someone who's a master at their craft? but maybe hasn't been celebrated in the way that they should.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, One, I mean, the dialogue with Peter has been great in that I have to respect his experience as an artist.
2: Yeah.
3: Right? But he has to be open to my feedback as someone who kind of like has a sense of the, the current rhythm, right? And then how do we push each other? And I think, you know, He's taught me so much about just painting, you know, because he's, he he just retired as a professor, and you know, introducing me to like you know artists like Bruegel, which like unless I go to a museum, I'm not really thinking about Bruegel.
2: Sure.
3: You know, but then to like go back and look mm-hmm. compositionally, subject matter, and then now that information is information that I can share with a young artist, you know, and make it contextually make sense. Yeah, you know, and so and, and that's the beauty of the journey, honestly.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what what are you envisioning uh, for your endeavors and projects this year? I, I know you've got an upcoming show at the New York Academy of Arts.
3: Yeah, so beyond um, that per- show
1: in February, um, are are you thinking about any uh, bigger projects at the moment?
3: Uh, so I have the show "Parallels and Peripheries: Practice and Presence." Um, that is uh, co-curated with Robin Gibson, who was an alumni of the Academy. And it was her idea that kind of instigated this project. And uh, Parallels and Peripheries actually is a series that started in 2018, Mm -hmm. inspired by Hans Obris' Take Me, I'm Yours. Okay. And I saw it at like, uh, in the Rome, Villa Medici, I think. Okay. And I was just like, how is this guy exploring the same idea 15 years later? And why are none of my colleagues, like, serializing their interrogation? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Parallels has always been about, you know, interrogating what artists are thinking about now. You know, how are they building stories, telling us stories, building narratives, um, constructing a practice. And so the one in Rome now is called Fragments and Fractals. Okay. And you know, it's it's all African American artists, but it's kind of pushing against this idea that we're, you know, black people, people of African descent are a monolith. And really kind of highlighting the diversity and nuance.
2: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, so Kenny DeYanko's in that show, uh Kentura Davis, Nate Lewis, David Trobe, uh Kim's in that show. Why do I feel like I'm missing somebody? Basil Kincaid. hmm um so for me i think continuing the journey on this series and so with practice and presence a lot of it is just kind of thinking about the presence of bipoc you know artists in the art world
2: yeah you
3: know in our community um in institutions right um whether that be as students whether that be as instructors um how are they just kind of responding to this moment i mean if i think about two weeks ago looking at the luckily i was in ghana but it was like That's weird right.
1: we're all, you were in ghana
3: yeah yeah i was in ghana for a month and just kind of look at what was happening on capitol hill i was like man we're in the damn twilight zone
1: yeah you know? it was really hard to believe watching that yeah
3: yeah and so you know i think i'm excited because this show will be students alum lecturers who are affiliated with the school um and it also just came from an itch to just kind of want to physically do something. Mm-hmm. and so, you know, the show will be open February 10th by appointment. Um, there'll also be an opportunity to, you know, experience it
1: digitally uh, virtually. Okay. But, will and, that uh, be the New York Academy platform?
3: Yeah, so Digital on the website, okay. um I'll I'll share a link there'll be a direct link to the page. Okay. Um, and then uh co-curating the Athens Biennale. Uh, which hopefully will open in May. A lot of it is COVID dependent. Eclipse is the title. And, um, you know, I think for me, that was a great challenge because my relationship with this project starts with ARC Athens. So I was the first fellow with Cullen Washington to be in residence at ARC Athens. Um, yeah. Spent six, seven weeks in Greece. Amazing. And, you know, kind of began that relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it came also from a desire to want to do more projects overseas, you know, because mm-hmm. I think obviously doing shows in New York is great, but like, you know, bringing this ethos and way of working to a community in Greece, I think for me, is it's an exciting challenge because I think also you get to a point where you want to identify new challenges. A biennial is oh. a different monster. Big challenge, yeah. You know, but it's fun. And so that, um, and then the fall, a bunch of shows. So doing a solo show with Amber Robles Gordon at American University. Um, And that's going to be solo show. She's Afro, Puerto Rican, working in abstraction, sculpture installation. And so that's like a big stretch for me. Um, Because... I have to deepen my engagement and understanding about abstraction and develop my own thesis. So it's not really trying to abide by what other people say, but like, okay, what about this is interesting to me? Yeah. Um, It can open up a dialogue. Um, so, you know, a lot of projects, I think Art Noir, we're continuing to push. Uh, we have our virtual visit series that we do every Thursday. We're not doing this Thursday. Um, cause we wanted to take a break, a little break before we really got into it, but it's 30 minutes. You get to see into an artist's studio. Um, we announced, you know, the new lineup for February. Um, so continuing to push in that regard. Um, and just find new challenges that are adjacent to the art world, mm-hmm. but might not necessarily be curating a show. Um, but maybe working with, you know, there are a lot of tech platforms that want to come into the space. So how do I, you know, potentially cultivate relationships there? Mm -hmm. Um, But the goal is just, you know, to continue to have fun, um, continue to help create platforms for artists that normally would be overlooked.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, Continue to celebrate, you know, black and brown creatives, artists from Asia, Mm -hmm. Middle East. Um, And, you know, really for me making that my center, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think what parallels and peripheries has always been about, you know, artists that have traditionally been put on the margins, what happens when you make them the center of the conversation Mm -hmm. and not um, make it tokenized or aiming for it to not be tokenized, but deal with it. You know, and I think doing this in an academy, is an impo- important because like, there's so many BIPOC students who you know they go through this grad journey and don't have instructors that look like them or don't feel like you know they're getting the the rigorous feedback about their practice
2: mm-hmm.
3: in comparison to other classmates. And so what does that do to the psyche of an artist in terms of that educational experience
2: mm-hmm. and
3: how they think about their practice. You know and, and feeling like an outlier. And so, you know, this project in particular, it's like, okay, that's what it's about practice and presence, the idea of the presence of these these individuals. Um,
1: But... It sounds like a wonderful project. I've certainly been enriched by my travels in Southeast Asia the last two to three years. Mm -hmm. And so it'd be great to, at some point, um, you know, maybe even there's a way that we can synergize something between, you know what you're seeing in Ghana and then um, several countries in Southeast Asia. I've particularly yeah. gotten to know a lot of artists in Vietnam and Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother lives in Vietnam. So I have like an added kind of connection. in to go. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, uh, I mean. It's been so, it's been really, you know, inspiring and, and, and kind of seeing both the different ideas that are being talked about and addressed, but then also there there's an exactly. overlap, right? We We all kind of, are wanting this um global conversation to happen and and it's not so easy i mean i think it does take people like us and other other curators other collectors also exchanging works and ideas
3: yeah no totally and i think for me it's always cool the artistic gesture can be different because mm. you have artists who are totally rejecting kind of a western form of art making yeah and how do we learn from that, you know? Um, and how do we learn also just how to put our guard down and kind of engage with That's the crazy. work,
2: yeah,
3: you know, and, and not disqualify it because it's not Canvas, you know? And so, yeah, you know, I think for me, also just traveling as much within reason, obviously. Uh, we're still in a pandemic.
2: Yeah. But,
3: you know, I've also just been heavily dependent on, like, online you know so like I've met a lot of great people not even just artists through Instagram and Clubhouse and you know WhatsApp yeah and so continuing to cultivate those relationships and you know just do my best to be a messenger for these artists who I think are sharing important stories and perspectives with Mm -hmm. the world
1: well it's great I I love engaging with what you do and um, you've been such a, a great supporter of artists and the art community. And I mean, I'm sure that if we talked to individual artists like Hugo, they would uh, just be uh, gushing with, Mm. you know, praise and and admiration for what you've done in the art world. So um, thanks for joining us today and taking the time. And uh, yeah, we'll have a lot of your information on my blog page so that listeners can engage with these various projects and your upcoming shows
3: yeah no thank you it's been a pleasure and honor congratulations
1: thank you um, and hopefully we'll see each other around more as uh, yes. the vaccines get uh distributed so i look forward to that
3: sounds like a plan thank you
0: I appreciate it thanks for checking out Six Degrees of Silvis I'm the editor of the show Evan Halter if you'd like to learn more about John or the guests we have on the podcast please visit johnsilvis.com thanks for listening